Well, for our scripture reading this evening, I'd invite you, if you can see a Bible, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 17. So Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the fourth chapter, and we begin to read at the 17th verse. And this is God's word to us. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his word. Let's bow together for a brief prayer. Gracious Father, as you come speaking to us now through your word... Please do not pass us by. Please speak not only to those beside us in the pew, but speak to each one of us and grant us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe and love and obey. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I guess if you were to ask most people in church on a Sunday evening, 
If you were to give them the choice between, do you want to hear something which is practical, or do you want to hear something which is doctrinal, I reckon most people would probably say, oh, definitely give me something practical. That's what I really want, and that's what I need to hear. Now, in one sense, that's entirely understandable because the Christian life is about discipleship. The Christian life is about growth and transformation. But at the same time, the Christian gospel is not simply something about practical guidance or techniques or encouragement to live a better life. That's moralism. That is self-help. And it's certainly not the good news of Jesus Christ. This evening in our time together, I want us to think about how those two things, something that's really practical and something which is doctrinal, they're not actually two things which are poles apart from one another. Those are two things that are actually really bound up with one another. We're going to think about discipleship and growth and transformation, really practical things. But I hope that we'll leave here persuaded either for the first time or in a new way that Christian doctrine really is something that is for discipleship. That gospel truth is something which produces gospel growth. And that God's truth isn't merely something just to understand with our minds. Truth really is something which transforms. Practical Christianity, it flows from the discipleship of the mind. And to do that, we're going to consider these verses in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Because here the Apostle Paul is trying to spell out in some really concrete ways the fact that believers are to live radically different lives from unbelievers. And he's going to get right down into the very details of it. He's going to get down to telling the Ephesians what to do with their anger, what their speech should be like, what they should do with their money, how they could, should conduct their relationships, how they should spend their time, things that are really practical, things which are incredibly relevant. But in order to do that, he's going to get down, first of all, into something which is even more foundational. One of our songs this evening was all about building, building up our lives. If we want our lives to be built so that they're stable and so that they're lived to God's glory, they've got to be built on a solid foundation. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing about here in Ephesians chapter 4. Because he knows that once the foundation is down, then the building can begin. Now, I've no idea at the moment, hopefully I'll hear afterwards, where the project's at for the new meeting house. I can remember seeing the photographs of um, the turf being cut and so on. I don't know if the foundation's down yet at this point. Um, it is. Well, once the foundation's down, 
then the building can really get going. But to try to build without laying a proper foundation, that would be foolish. So in verse 17, Paul begins for us and he brings in the language of the law court. He employs legal language to say to us, this is something which is really serious. This matters. He's testifying and testifying not in a human court. He's testifying as a spokesman of the Lord Jesus Christ. His words to the Ephesians, his words to us, they are to be received as if they came from the very mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. The command in verse 17 is really clear. Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So here, the language, the metaphor is one of walk. It's one that we're all familiar with. It's about the whole direction of your life, where things are going. And we're familiar with this. It's about how we walk publicly and privately. It's about how we live at home and in the workplace, in school, in college, in the community. We're familiar with the idea that there's a Christian walk. And we know that when it comes to the Christian life, mere talk is never enough. We're familiar with that idea that the walk and the talk, those things, they need to match up with one another. There's a way, first of all, in which we must no longer live, and there's a new way, a changed life, and that is the new walk that is to characterize our lives. Now, notice some of the details here. Listen to what he says about how the Gentiles walk. And pause here for just a second, because the Ephesian church that Paul's writing to here was, by and large, a Gentile church. Most of the people who received this letter were Gentiles, except that they weren't really Gentiles anymore. They now belong to the new humanity in Christ, one in which there is no longer Jew or Gentile. These believers are part of the true and restored people of God. It's not our ethnicity that defines us, but it is Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus has not only delivered us from the guilt of sin, but he's also delivered us from the power of sin. And consequently, we must no longer live as we once lived. We've been redeemed, we've been set free in order to live for God. And therefore, the call is, don't live in the way that unbelievers do. Don't walk according to the old walk. Well, Paul's exhortation in chapter 4, if you look to the first verse, is to walk in a manner which is worthy and pleasing of the Lord. And to enable us to do this, Paul engages in some serious theological and psychological analysis of just how it is that unbelievers live. He explains that the walk of unbelievers comes from a futility, from a darkness, from a deadness of mind. 
That is why people live as they do. Verse 17, there is a futility of mind. If something is futile, we know what that means. It's futile, that means it's useless. It's pointless. And this word for futility was used in the Old Testament to describe futile idols, worthless idols. Can't you remember the prophets talking about how the idols that people worshipped of wood and stone and gold and silver, they were useless. And There's a lasting biblical principle here. You become like what you worship. So if you worship futile idols, well, then your life will be marked by futility. Paul makes exactly the same point back in Romans 1 verse 21 where he writes, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And why is that? Because of their idolatry. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that's one reason behind the old way of life, a futile mind. And in verse 18, we read more about the reason why unbelievers are committed to this walk. Paul tells us that they are darkened in their understanding. There'll be no understanding of the ultimate things of life until that darkness is taken away. Now, of course, It's not as if unbelievers are all stupid. Ignorance and stupidity are not the same thing. There are incredibly intelligent people in our world, many of whom are unbelievers. They may have absolutely tremendous intellectual abilities, things that we're really grateful and thankful for, things that we benefit from in so many ways. Even the most intelligent can still be ignorant. Paul's talking about an ignorance concerning the things of God. A darkness which comes. A darkness which comes and settles and pervades the understanding of the person who is outside of Christ. Sin comes in with this darkening, inky blackness. And it seeps down into every part of someone's life. There's no part of a human being that is not tainted by sin. It affects even our understanding, making it darkened. And this is a culpable ignorance. Because God has revealed himself to them and they have suppressed the truth. No one's ignorant because of lack of evidence. Rather, our hard hearts reject things which can be clearly seen as we suppress the truth. And why is that? Well, there's a deeper problem still in verse 18. Do look at it. We're alienated from the life of God. We're strangers to the life of God. It's something which by nature is foreign to us. And no one truly understands life if they're separated from God. If they're cut off from the author of life, they do not understand this life. If they're cut off from the one who is light himself, well, then they will be in darkness 
when it comes to spiritual things. And at root, why is this? Well, the end of verse 18, our hearts by nature are hard, resistant to the things of God. That is the root of the problem. By nature, our heart is hardened against God. And so there's no life. There's no responsiveness in it. And all of that has got serious real life consequences. Verse 19, left to ourselves, we become callous. Now, most of us know what calluses are. You go to work with a new tool, maybe in the workshop, maybe in the garden. And, well, certainly if your hands are in my hands, it won't be too long until you start to develop blisters. You feel the pain. They hurt, but after a while, the pain disappears and the skin becomes hard and insensitive. Well, in our sin, we become unfeeling. We become calloused. And we see this all the time. Eventually, sin doesn't even trouble the conscience anymore. And as verse 19 goes on, it is a downward spiral. They've given themselves up to sensuality. In other words, seeking to gratify our desires by forbidden earthly things. A life of self-gratification, seeking satisfaction in anything rather than God. And our desires go after the wrong things. And even good desires that we have, they become misdirected. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, seeking fulfillment through forbidden things. And those things never satisfy. We long for more and more of them, and they hope that they might someday. But actually, we crave things which cannot satisfy. And it's a downward spiral. We actually end up desiring it more and more, and we give ourselves up to practice every kind of impurity. That's life outside of Christ. That is how we once walked. But it's not how Christian believers walk anymore. Why not? Well, verse 20. Because we have learned Christ. Note the details. Not just that we learned facts and information about Jesus Christ. No, Paul says, you have learned Christ. The Christian life, it certainly involves learning. But this learning is quite remarkably learning a person. It is something which is deeply personal. And in verses 20 to 21, note the focus on the mind here. Just look at some of the main words. Hopefully they'll jump out at you. They're words like learning, hearing, and being taught the truth. And how does Paul know about all of this? How does he know that they learned and heard and were taught the truth that is in Christ Jesus? Well, Paul himself had been their teacher. 
In Acts 20, when he said farewell to the elders from the church, he told them that when he had been with them, he did not shrink back from declaring to them what was profitable, teaching in public and from house to house. And as he did that, he declared to the Ephesians the whole counsel of God. When he was thrown out of the synagogue, he rented the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which I think has surely got to be one of the best names ever for a teacher, teacher the tyrant. And for two years in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, Paul publicly expounded and he debated the faith. He was present with them. He ministered to them. And he didn't preach a Christ that just saved and left people where they were. He preached to them a Jesus who saved people and who then transformed them. Not just a gospel that delivers us from the guilt of sin, but a gospel in which Christ is presented as the one who breaks the power of sin. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension deliver us from both, both the guilt and the power of sin. They learned Jesus. They didn't just hear about him, verse 21. They actually heard him. The members of the Ephesian church weren't actually there to witness Christ themselves. Presumably, none of the people in the congregation had heard Jesus Christ preach during his earthly ministry when he was in Israel. So how is it that these people have heard Christ? Well, they heard Christ as Paul preached the gospel to them. In the apostles' preaching, they heard the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the same for us today. As Christ is preached to us, the Lord Jesus, by his word and spirit, calls us to repentance and faith. This is how Christ normally works, to regenerate and give new life. So we can say here that the Lord Jesus Christ is the subject of what's been learned. They learn Jesus. He's also the speaker of the gospel. Verse 21, they heard him. And then at the end of that verse, he's also the sum of their teaching. They learned the truth that was in Christ Jesus. Now people say, we want something practical. Don't give us any of that dry doctrine. We want something that's all about devotion and commitment. Well, when Paul will speak about the important, concrete matters of the Christian life, he says, remember, you learned, you heard, you were taught. Healthy, growing Christians, disciples who are going on to maturity, are learning Christians. The Bible says in moments of trial and temptation, remember what it is that you learned. And real learning like that, it's not easy. Because this kind of learning is not simply about amassing information that sits inside our heads. This is something deeper and richer and fuller. And real learning is not easy. Let me try to illustrate this. Lighting a real proper fire that will burn for a whole evening, that's something 
which takes time and effort. You have to go out into the cold. You have to get the logs. You have to hawk in the coal for the fire. You get your hands dirty through the whole business. It's often hard work. What if you were to just use those little kindling sticks? They're light. They're clean. They're easy to use. They catch fire almost immediately. They burn with a bright flame. They make a great quick blaze. Coal, on the other hand, takes longer to catch fire. To begin with, there's not much beyond smoke. It cracks. It sparks. It maybe flickers a little bit. But then, when it lights... It starts to burn steadily, and it will give out heat. It'll give out light long after the kindling has fallen through the grate and is lying there simply as ashes. You cannot live the Christian life, especially when life is hard, if you're trying to use the equivalent of just those little kindling twigs. It might seem successful for a short time, but in the end, it doesn't last. So what's the coal here? What had they been taught? What's the weighty substance of this? Really, three things. And you'll see them in verses 22 to 24. I like to think of them here as almost like a sandwich. It's as if there are three things that they've learned that they're to learn again, and that they're to keep on learning all through life. Three pieces, two bits of bread on either side, and then right in the center of it, we get the filling, which is where the action's really at. So what does Christ say to us when we come into his school, the place where we're taught by Christ, where we learn him, where we hear the truth that's in him? Well, here's the first bit, if you like, almost like the first bit of bread being put down. We're told to put off the old self, the old man, the person that we once were out of Christ, the life that's described in verses 17 to 19. All those things, Paul says, be done with them. Cast them off, get rid of them, put it off just like you would take off an old coat. Take off that old self-destructive lifestyle. It happens in conversion. And then in the Christian life, we are to do it again and again. And why do we take it off? Well, look what he says in verse 22. It's corrupt. It's decaying. It's rotten. It's corrupt precisely because it's fueled and fired by deceit. It's corrupt because of lies. It's decaying because there's an absence of truth in it. It's never going to get any better. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and abandoned. It's not something that you can patch up and refer. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out. The old man is already dead. Christ has put him to death. You've become a new person in Jesus Christ. And that means daily, you need to put off the old man. Secondly, the other bit of bread, as it were, verse 24, it's the flip side of it. The other side of the sandwich, put on the new self. If you put that off in its place, 
put this on. Change your clothes, put on a whole new wardrobe. In Christ, there is a new self. We're something that we once were not. The new man has been raised to life. It's creation language. You can't create yourself. This is something which comes about by a sovereign work of God. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. You have to keep learning what it is to be the person that you have become in Jesus Christ. So those are the two bits of bread in this sandwich. Put off the old life. Put on the new one. What? is right at the center. What's the substance of this? What is the filling? Well, right at the center, sandwiched between this call to put off your old self and to put on the new is something of great importance. In verse 23, the apostle tells us how change actually happens in someone's life, how your life can change. And if we were to change the illustration, we could say that verse 23 is almost something of a bridging verse. This is how we get from the old life to the new life. Verse 23 is the bridge. It spans the transition. Paul says, here's the substance. Here's the filling. Here's the bridge. This is how it actually happens in someone's life. Paul says, we are to be renewed in the attitude, literally in the spirit of our minds. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying that that change from the old to the new, it takes place when we are changed and transformed in the deepest part of our thinking and understanding. And this is so important. This change of lifestyle comes from a change of thinking. Doctrine is always for discipleship. The truth is always designed to transform us. The gospel is always supposed to be about growth. Mature thinking is absolutely essential for mature living. This is something the Apostle Paul tells Christians over and over again. Do you remember those words from Romans chapter 12? Paul says, don't be squeezed into the way of living that people in the world live by. Don't let the world force you into its mold. And we say, yep, we feel the temptation to conform. How do we make sure that we don't do it? Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The substance of this sandwich, the bridge from the old to the new, it is about being transformed at the deepest level of our understanding and our thinking about the world. Previously, there was futility in our minds. There was a deadness in our thinking. But now with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Light has come, and this great shaft of light has pierced the darkness of our minds. The spirit of our minds has been renewed. And notice the details of verse 23. He's not telling us to renew our minds. This is good news. Christ 
has renewed our minds. This is something that only God can do by his sovereign grace. And having been renewed, we are to live a new life, one which will be different from the world around us. Now, if you're having a sandwich for your lunch on Monday, as I imagine I will be for my lunch tomorrow, you would feel let down, you would feel positively cheated if you got out the sandwich and all that you had were the two bits of bread. You'd say, where's the meat? Where's the substance? Where's the thing that will really feed and satisfy? Make sure that you don't do the equivalent of that in your Christian life. Because the two bits of bread, not living like that and living like this, they're really important. But the thing which brings them together, the thing which causes us to move from the old life to the new life, it's the truth of the gospel. It's Christian doctrine. It's understanding what the gospel says to us. If we want to be fed so that we grow up to maturity, we need the meat. And not just the facts in some kind of cold, detached way as if they're just pieces of information that we might have. We need the truth that really transforms learning Christ so that our minds are transformed. This is how change happens. It's by being renewed in the very spirit of your minds and thinking. And when that happens, there'll be a whole new walk, a different way of life, the life of the age to come, lived out now to the glory of God. So we started off by saying, what do we want? Something that's really practical or something which is doctrinal? The Apostle Paul says to us, those two things are not strangers from one another. Those two things are things that go hand in hand. If you want your life to change, it is going to take place as the Spirit of God takes the message of the Word of God and works it deep down into the most fundamental part of your thinking and the way that you see the world and the way that you understand all things. And when that happens, we will be changed. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we want to live lives that please you. And we want to live lives which are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, in our relationships, in our home, in the interaction that we have day by day. And we ask, Father, that that change, that growth and maturity would happen day by day and week by week. And please, would it be brought about as you take your truth and put it deep down into us? And through that, would you shape and fashion us into the likeness of your Son, 
Father, we have learned Jesus Christ. Help us to learn him more so that we live for him day by day. And we pray this in his name. Amen.